Chapter Nine of Recollections of Imperial Russia by Mariel Buchanan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Moscow, Ivan the Terrible. It happens just occasionally that one has a vision of something that brings a sudden mist of tears to one's eyes and makes one's heart seem to catch in one's throat. Perhaps it is a church, a beautiful view, a picture, a jewel, or merely a bunch of flowers, and why it should affect one it is impossible to explain. Very probably it isn't at all the most wonderful thing one has seen, and yet, just for a second, time and the world seem to stand still, and one is conscious only of beauty, beauty as a thing concrete and real and tangible. So I remember, with vivid clearness, my first view of the Kremlin at Moscow it was i think in the winter of nineteen twelve that we went there for a short visit we arrived very early in the morning and of the drive from the station i remember practically nothing it was still quite dark our carriage bumped over ill-paved streets one had dim glimpses of big houses with here and there a lighted window of flickering lamps at street corners of passing people wrapped in huge fur coats of mauzhiks sweeping the newly fallen snow of queer little sledges and cabs narrower higher more tumble-down even than the ones in petersburg of electric trams with thickly frosted windows of open wooden booths of the huge looming shadows of churches then came the arrival at the hotel the warm brightly lit hall the smell that is so inseparable to russian houses of cabbage soup and sunflower oil the bowing manager Mauzhiks in bright-colored shirts, carrying up our boxes, a porter in a dark blue-belted tunic and a queer little cap, trimmed with peacock feathers, the dim, subdued hum of waking life, against the windows the grayness of the slowly dawning winter's day, and, then, something that grew out of the mists, I had only carelessly, busy with my unpacking, looked up at the unshuttered windows, but I remember that after that one glance I stood still, everything else forgotten, the modern, ugly hotel bedroom sinking away, the walls just crumbling into dust, leaving me alone, facing immensity. Very slowly it was growing light, a faint pink flush was stealing across the grayness of the sky. A blue mist still lay over the snow-covered street, veiling the opposite houses, and beyond them, making them shrink into insignificance, rose a great shadow. Was it a fairy-tale castle seen in childish dreams, or a stupendous bit of scenery from some Russian ballet or Wagner opera? I had, of course, read about the Kremlin, pictured it to myself rather hazily, not paid really much attention, but that first sight of the great red walls, with one of the nineteen turrets, against the frosty, slowly brightening sky, was one that I have never forgotten, one that has remained with me always, and that not all the crowding impressions of the following days could equal or obliterate. Moscow, the heart of Russia, little mother Moscow, the walls of the Kremlin against which Tartars, Lithuanians, Poles, and French have thundered, destroyed over and over again by fire, swept by plague and famine and pestilence, and yet, even as Kiev, rising again and again from her ruins, replacing that old mother of Russian cities in the hearts of her children. Moscow of the many hundred churches, of the golden bells, of the countless crowding memories." They say that in the twelfth century the hill above the river Moskva was covered by a thick forest, occupied by the small estate of the farmer Stephen Kachko, 
with nearby a little wooden church called spasnaparu or church of the redeemer in the wood in the year eleven forty seven yuri dolgaruki george the long-armed one of the sons of vladimir monomax prince of kiev came to meet his cousin sviatoslav and oleg of novgorod by the moskva river and built a fortified wall round the farm of stephen kotchko whom he summarily turned out legend says that yuri had british blood in his veins for his father is supposed to have married gaida the daughter of harold king of england and perhaps it was that strain of practical british common sense which made yuri see how useful the river moskva would be for traffic and commerce and so made him doggedly persist in enlarging the fortified village on the hill then in twelve thirty seven came batu with his tartars destroying everything in his path marching on to kiev leaving only smoking ruins behind him and with the quiet persevering patience and resignation so characteristic of the russian people the little wooden town was built up again prospering and thriving even under the heavy tartar rule ivan kalyata built the first wooden cathedral of the assumption in thirteen twenty six for the metropolitan peter persuading him to leave the city of vladimir and take up his quarters at moscow a little later the wall of oak was destroyed by fire and the russians so essentially a nation of carpenters built a wall of white stone round the kremlin hoping thus to save it from the attack of tartar hordes but in eighteen thirty two moscow was betrayed into the hands of Tokhtamuish, the great general of timur the lame and dmitri Donskoy, the victor of kulikova returned from kostroma to find his capital reduced to ashes once again in thirteen ninety five the newly built walls were threatened by the tartars but this time the image of the virgin said to have been painted by st luke was brought from vladimir to moscow and by a miracle as it seemed timur and his hosts turned back but at last under the reign of ivan three in fourteen eighty five the tartar supremacy was definitely overthrown and the present walls of the kremlin were built painted white in those days with green roofed turrets and towers shining across the plains enclosing the old wooden palaces and those new churches of stone which italian architects were teaching the russians to build the uspensky sabor or cathedral of the assumption the archangel cathedral the cathedral of the annunciation with its nine golden domes the church of the redeemer in the forest rebuilt and glorified with its chapels dedicated to the saints yuri samoan and iviva who are the special patrons of love affairs we were in moscow only four or at the most five days that year in nineteen twelve days filled with colour splendour and unforgettable radiance it was the first afternoon i think that we drove under the iberian gate by the sacred chapel of the iberian virgin with its wonder-working image and up into the red square that is nine hundred yards long and a hundred and seventy-five yards broad bounded on one side by the walls of the kremlin and on the other by the so-called trading rows all around one the white silence of the snow golden domes half frosted over turrets and battlements towers and high gateways mingled in a strange mixture of russian byzantine gothic and italian architectures one could describe every detail minutely and yet find it impossible to explain the nameless charm of it all the space the colouring the mystic radiance that is over everything it has not quite the well-known eastern magic and yet it has nothing of the west the golden ruins of rome the stately splendour of versailles the louvre or notre dame 
the beauty of westminster abbey the picturesque solemn majesty of the tower of london it is unlike all of these wonderful they are all of them some of them more ancient with memories just as full of history and romance and tragedy and yet for none of them can i recapture the thrill i had when i first stood on the red square and looked up at the walls of the kremlin at the golden domes the turrets and towers and at the end of the square the cathedral of st basil of all the churches of moscow that city of beautiful churches this surely is the weirdest and most arresting a good many books dismiss it carelessly as merely curious and odd americans perhaps would say it was cute some people even call it hideous the french during the occupation of moscow had so little respect for it as a church that they used it for stabling their horses and yet with its garish blues and greens and yellow with its gold crosses glittering in the sunshine with its towers and spires and domes all different shapes and forms it is so arresting so individual that even those who call it grotesque and odious have to stop and look at it if a building can express a personality then surely the church of st basil is a reproduction almost of the man for whom it was built terrible monstrous savage and brutal and yet in a way almost great almost a genius the snow crunched and screamed under my feet as i walked all round it finding at every corner a new strange bit of architecture so fantastic that it seemed it must be a misproportion until one examined it closer and found it in perfect harmony not one of the windows was like another every tower and dome was shaped a different way each one of the great bronze doors was separate and distinct beggars crouched on the steps people came and went on the red square a sledge with two cossack officers with high fur caps came down from the kremlin under the great arch of the spassky or redeemer gate with its miraculous icon to which those who were about to die on the square addressed their last prayers a group of peasants uncovered reverently as they passed under the gateway two or three tartars in round black caps stood by the labne maesta or place of the skull gazing up at the walls of the kremlin the golden bells of ivan Bieliki broke the still cold purity of the air and the bells of st basil answered in a chorus of silver voices and standing at one of the doorways of the church i also looked up at the kremlin walls at the tsarina's tower with its queer-shaped roof at the tower of constantine and helen where the ancient torture chambers used to be and the small tower with its narrow windows from which it is said the terrible tsar watched the executions on the red square inside st basil one had still less the feeling of being in a church the dark narrow passages the dim chapels with their painted walls their fantastic discordance the spiral staircases that led from one level to another here there was nothing to inspire reverence one had rather the feeling of being watched all the time by something evil and sinister something intensely unhappy a spirit groping in torment a soul tortured and torn by conflicting emotions and dumbly the walls seemed still to echo with the bitter weeping of a man whose vision had been swallowed in darkness the man who built the church whose sightless eyes yearned in vain to look on his accomplished dream whose thin groping hands perhaps strayed over the walls trying to impress on his mind this work of his imagination he had never seen while all the time the tears from those seared eyes of his ran down his trembling cheeks how had the vision of this church he was to build first come to him 
one wonders that and can find no answer to one's question did it follow him persistently down the narrow uneven dirty streets or sitting by the river looking over the plain did he see strange weird-shaped cupolas and domes rise out of the evening mists lying over the sparrow hills or lying on some hard bed above a stove did he dream of twisting passages of shadowy chapels where from the roof the saviour's face looked down in grave and pitying tenderness and then when he heard that the tsar had said that he wanted a church that was to be like no other church to commemorate his victory over the tartars at kazan did a gleam of light come to his haunted visionary eyes did his fingers move as if they traced the lines of some fantastic building a church that was to be like no other church the tsar ivan whom men have named the terrible had many churches in the walls of the kremlin and in not one of them could he pray in peace when he knelt in the huge vastness of the Spansky cathedral he was oppressed by the majestic grandeur of the byzantine norman style that made him feel small and mean in the insignificance of his mortal humanity while always he seemed to hear in the silence the shriek of his uncle yuri kilinski murdered by the mob in the chapel of st demetrius the archangel cathedral with those coffins where beneath a velvet pall the bodies of dead princes lay where he also was to lie one day filled him with haunted terror and dread in the beautiful cathedral of the annunciation the air seemed heavy with prayers up among the shadows of the roof he fancied he could hear the rustling of angels wings as he heard them the day he married the sweet-faced anastasia romanovna zakharin no he wanted a church where he could be alone with his prayers with that tortured conscience of his with that mad perverted evil infected mind so presently he sent out word to the italian and other foreign architects who were in the city bidding them bring him plans and one by one he sent them away again with cruel biting words and bitter sarcasm had he not said that he wanted something that had never been seen before why did they bring him drawings that were gothic or lombard or greek was there not one man in his dominions who had imagination so at last the rumour of the tsar's impatience and displeasure came to the ears of the man with the visionary eyes and for days and nights he hardly slept or took food till finally he had his plans complete and took them to the kremlin and perhaps when he saw those plans the tsar sat for a moment very still a church that was to be like no other church in all the world this little man who cringed and trembled and fawned had found the vision where all the others had failed and he the prince of moscow the tsar of little russia of white russia the lord of kazan of vladimir of suzdale and of novgorod was to own it for him alone would it be built this church unrivalled fantastic unique without compare and when it was finished one would see to it that this little cringing fellow whose brain could conceive such a masterpiece should never work again just this one church he should do and nothing else those exalted words of his this have i done but this is nothing in comparison with what i can still do should never be fulfilled and never should he raise another edifice and so when at last the work was finished before even the last stone was laid torturing burning darkness descended on the man with the dreaming visionary eyes for by the order of the tsar he was seized and blinded lest by any chance he be lured to make another masterpiece for perhaps another tsar that should in any way equal this church that was like no other church in all the world 
the rosy light of the setting sun turns the snow almost to the colour of blood behind the great palace the sky is blazing a faint mauve mist steals up from the river the great walls throw their purple shadows across the square the high bell-tower of ivan Veliki, the battlements and turrets the domes and cupolas stand out as if cut in dark blue cardboard against the vivid sky the bells of all the churches ring and the citizens of moscow cross themselves devoutly the candles gutter over the tombs of dead princes in the archangel cathedral michael of chernigoff murdered by the tartars lies there and dmitri donskoy who overcame their army at kulikova and vasily the darkened whose eyes were put out and ivan the great cold and calculating and successful and that other ivan surnamed the terrible they say that when he was born rolling claps of thunder were heard all over russia while lightning blazed across the sky heralding the birth of one who was to be eternally feared and hated whose name was to be handed down to history as that of an inhuman monster whose pitiless cruelty had neither sense nor reason his father vasily had had no children by his first marriage and had in consequence sent his wife into a convent and married the beautiful helena gilinski the daughter of a lithuanian noble in fifteen thirty their first child ivan was born and three years later vasily died then began the storms of that unhappy childhood that were to turn the blue-eyed baby into the crazy brutal fanatic a few years helena reigned with her lover telepnym Apolensky, aiding her then still young and beautiful she died of poison many said and so was ivan left an orphan with the fierce princes of shuiski and bilski fighting for the leading hand in the government finally the shuiski remained alone and victorious and under their harsh rule the little boy was taught to be cruel was taken to see people crushed to death by heavy wagons was forced to witness executions was encouraged to ill-treat animals finding presently his chief pleasure in throwing cats and dogs over the high ramparts of the kremlin walls was himself often left hungry and cold insulted beaten neglected threatened with torture and yet slowly all the time he was growing up it was no longer the child with the shrinking eyes but a boy suddenly conscious of his own power who turned with a swift fierce movement in the middle of the assembled court and bade his kennelman seize andrei shuiski and throw him to the hounds so abruptly in horror the reign of the shuiskis was ended and ivan though still under the tutelage of his mother's family the jelinskis was free of oppression and in the reaction from that rule of terror let his unbridled turbulent wildness sway him entirely when he was eighteen he was crowned as the first tsar of russia a title that had been used so far only unofficially by ivan three and vasily but that was henceforth accepted and recognized as the rightful rank of the prince of moscow and at the same time he chose for his bride the beautiful anastasia romanovna zakharin from whose family were to come the future emperors of russia gone now were the days when the great princes of kiev were wedded to the daughters of foreign rulers ivan's offers to various sovereigns had been curtly refused so that he had to have recourse to the custom of his fathers accordingly word was sent round and hundreds of young girls of good family were brought to moscow and lodged in a great building especially set apart for them with large rooms each containing twelve beds here at night the tsar came with but one courtier 
went slowly through the dimly lit chambers and made his selection so was anastasia romanovna chosen and for a short time the tsar passionately in love with his young wife gave himself up completely to adoration then a few months later came the two great fires of moscow following each other with but a short interval the second one surpassing in violence anything ever seen seventeen hundred people were said to have lost their lives in the flames the palace and all the wooden buildings in the kremlin were destroyed the maddened populace believing that the gilinskis had started the fire attacked the kremlin murdered yuri gilinski in the uspensky cathedral and clamoured to see ivan who had sought refuge in his palace on the sparrow hills it was at this time that the monk sylvester gained his great influence over the distracted monarch aided by adashev sage and wise counsellor and by anastasia sweet-faced gentle and merciful so that between them for a little while ivan curbing his wildness became a great ruler governing with justice and astute policy enriching his dominions bringing in foreign trade and commerce introducing the first printing-press in moscow so also was the first national assembly convened in the red square with the young tsar addressing the people then came the siege and capture of kazan the birth of ivan's first son the annexation of astrakhan but russia hoping for peace and prosperity was to be disappointed the tsar fell ill was believed to be dying and overhearing his counsellors discussing the succession lost his faith in them when he recovered grew to watch them with ever-increasing suspicion the good of their influence was to be still further undermined when on a pilgrimage to distant shrines he had an interview with the exiled bishop of kolomna the evil counsel given by the wicked old man strengthened by the fulfilment of the prophecy that his son would die took seed in the great half-crazy brain growing like a disease corrupting and polluting all that had been good the death of anastasia in 1560 was the final blow the removal of her gentle restraining influence the suspicion that her death had not been due to natural causes seemed to break the last strand holding ivan to reason adashev and sylvester were banished urged on by the unscrupulous maluta skuratev the mad passion of the tsar seemed to possess him like a raging spirit of evil his lust for blood his pitiless delight in human suffering his brutal punishment of small imagined offences made the russians cowering under the rule of terror wonder whether they were governed by a man or a devil men were impaled beaten to death cut into small pieces scalded in burning oil tortured in ways only a monster can have devised a cloud of horror and dark unutterable despair lay over moscow while the people praying in their churches shivered and lifted beseeching hands to the tender-eyed icons imploring protection for none knew on whom the tsar's anger might not descend but who could then or now understand the workings of that tormented fury-driven mind so perverted and trained to cruelty everywhere he looked there was blood it had been indelibly stamped on his childish impressionable brain till everything seemed to swim in a red mist before his eyes he could not get away from it and there was no anastasia now to lay a cool hand on that throbbing aching forehead to dispel by gentle words the crowding jostling figures of terror that pressed around his bed at night his attempt to marry one of the sisters of the king of poland had failed and smarting under the rebuff 
he made a handsome dark-haired sorcassian girl his wife but stormy and passionate her influence only dragged him further down and ever more darkly sinister the figure of the terrible tsar shadowed his country in the kremlin palace rebuilt and redecorated after the fire he would sit brooding his brilliant shifting eyes full of virulent malignant thoughts in the golden dusk of the great churches prostrating himself on the ground till a bump grew on his forehead he would pray to be forgiven accusing himself loudly of his sins and crimes humbling himself to the dust before his court and his people taking up his residence at the alexandrov sloboda a village about eighty-six miles from moscow surrounded by the dreaded aprichnina his personal bodyguard he at one moment played at religion in a priest's vestments at another gave himself up to incredible debauchery or watched with gloating eyes the torture of some helpless victim the old palace at alexandrov has disappeared now built into the new monastery only here and there an ancient door of the cathedral dark underground passages the ruins of a big outer building remain with the haunting memories of hideous mysteries of unspeakable atrocities shadows no historian has yet penetrated sombre frightful with matted hair and wild bloodshot eyes the face of ivan stares at one out of the shifting mists his bursts of demoniacal laughter seem to echo unceasingly in those few rooms left of the old palace in the kremlin in the churches one seems always to hear the moan of his self-accusing prayers on the red staircase the rapping of his long iron-pointed staff follows one one can see him here thrusting the pike through the foot of shabanov who came with his message from kurbsky and the poles and delivered it without a tremor while ivan listened with gleaming eyes leaning all the while heavily on that staff madness and terror wholesale executions on the red square the massacre of thousands at the sack of novgorod moscow satellite by an invading army of tartars ivan flying to rostov leaving his capital to be devoured by flames which swept the town and spared only the kremlin till finally the tartars finding nothing left to plunder withdrew the red light of blood and fire lighting up the reign of the most inhuman and savage of all the rurik princes as if with him the race of that great warrior was to die in flaming fury and meanwhile maria the sorkishan had died by what means history does not say his third wife martha sabokin lived only a few days after the wedding ceremony and when in fifteen seventy two the tsar contemplated marrying anna kaltovsky the church began by forbidding the union three wives were allowed by the orthodox religion but not more ivan restless fingers playing with his red beard blue eyes laughing with evil malice at the clergy's stern faces made answer that for the care of his motherless children for the welfare of his kingdom for the prevention of sin it was necessary for him to have a wife and a companion and reluctantly the church had perforce to yield no man being brave enough to resist his wishes the reign of anna kaltovsky was not to be long however very soon was she dispatched to a convent while anna vasilchikov took her place though whether ivan legally married her has been doubted there were others too vasilisa Milietev and the beautiful maria dolgoruki shot into a carriage and driven thus at full speed into a river till finally came the tsar's last marriage to maria negwe celebrated at the same time as that of his youngest son theodore to irina sister of the great boyarin 
boris gadnov in the scented stillness of the terem the tears of women fell unheeded their soft hands implored mercy in vain the dark sombre face the fierce restless shifting eyes the cruel lips half hidden under the red beard was there any hope of compassion or understanding there tall and broad-shouldered standing in the golden archway of the terem door hands clasped over the long staff piercing eyes going from side to side the tsar would be announced while the woman whom he called wife or only mistress rose to receive him with who knows what trembling limbs what a shudder of fear or repulsion in her soul to be a woman and belong to ivan the terrible tsar of all the rushes pitiless and supreme in power was it worth the net of pearls that bound her hair the golden cap with its precious stones the priceless sables that lined the long falling sleeves of her crimson underdress the heavy brocade sewn with jewels that fell over it the shoes of finest red leather embroidered again with pearls the necklaces of rubies and emeralds the rings and bracelets that glittered on her arms and neck shrinking away the woman's eyes would scan the face of the master of her fate could she hold him still and for how long how soon would her turn come to be dismissed into the dreary depth of a convent to be got rid of killed perhaps in some secret subtle way was it a question of months or weeks or days before the inevitable end no wonder the lady mary hastings receiving the ambassadors of the tsar of russia who came to beg for her hand in marriage flung herself at her father's feet imploring not to be delivered into the hands of that monster ivan had desired an english bride but the ambassadors returned to russia their mission unfulfilled and the autocrat of moscow gnawed his nails and railed against the pride and obstinacy of the british race in a harsh shrill voice and now sending a shudder through all the length and breadth of his great dominions came the greatest crime of all the murder of his eldest son ivan as usual in russian history the true cause of the tsarevich's death is unknown but the most generally believed story is that the tsar struck his son's wife for some minor offence so heavily that she had a miscarriage and that when his son violently upbraided him he turned in a blind fury and dealt him a tremendous blow over the head with his heavy iron-pointed staff with a scream of agony the tsarevich fell to the ground and overcome with terror with remorse with craven fear for his own soul ivan wept aloud nursing the shattered blood-stained head against his breast while the frightened courtiers gathered pale-faced in the doorway and a whisper of horror seemed to make the walls of the kremlin shiver but the scourge of that terror was soon to be removed for the eighteenth of march fifteen eighty four the date announced by the astrologers as being the day on which ivan would die was approaching broken in health suffering and feeble the man who had ruled with violence and fear was carried every day into his treasury playing with the precious stones having all the works of art sent to him from every corner of the world spread out before him sitting there propped in his chair wrapped in a golden embroidered gown gray hair streaking the red beard blue eyes bloodshot fierce still but filmed with the coming darkness of death long yellow fingers shaking and trembling as they touched some masterpiece of gold or ivory let the red fire of rubies stain them as with blood lovingly watched the lights in a great diamond or shuddered because the turquoises seemed to pale to green then at last playing chess with boris gudinov 
putting out his hand to move one of the marvellously carved pieces gave a sudden low quivering moan and fell forward it was the eighteenth of march and the great bells of the kremlin churches rang out their solemn call above the city where the first thaw was turning the snow to yellow slush and men paused and uncovered mutely not daring even now to express relief lest that departing spirit turn and rend them where had it gone the sombre savage cruel soul that had inspired such terror and suffering was it really only the pitiful used-out body that lay beneath the black velvet pall in the uspensky cathedral so vivid was the fear that lingered still in his people's minds so alive did the evil still seem to be that even until the present day men passing by that coffin crossed themselves with a whispered prayer that he who slept there might never rise again madman and fanatic genius inhuman monster vainly historians try to probe and reason violently accuse or feebly find excuses pursued by phantoms striking his forehead on the ground praying for those souls he had driven forth in anguish spending hours in the torture chambers coming out as a man rejuvenated and then unable to rest having always in his bedroom three old blind men who each in turn told their endless stories trying thus to lull the terror-haunted brain to sleep that fantasy of his to place simeon the tsarevich of exhiazen who had become christian and been driven out of his dominions by the tartars on the throne of russia for a space of time letting him live in the kremlin going himself even to offer mock homage and subjection who can explain it his treatment of the metropolitan philip that holy man who heroically refused to bless him who after years of imprisonment is said to have been burnt alive at alexandrov who can forgive it the attack on novgorod on the excuse of a vague suspicion of treachery the frightful butchery of the inhabitants the horror of those executions on the red square the murder of his own son the unspeakable unprintable debaucheries of alexandrov the ghastliness of those secret torture-chambers can one find any redeeming reason for it all save by saying that his terror-haunted childhood had affected his brain and yet he was not mad in all things he encouraged foreign trade he signed the first commercial treaty with england he fought and made a truce with the poles he annexed siberia enriched and aggrandized his dominions adding many provinces so much he did for russia but always will the scales weigh heavy against him and his name hang like a shadow of terror over moscow always will a little shiver strike one when one stands by that coffin with its fading velvet pall always will his ghost haunt the cathedral of st basil where legend says the mendicant monk is buried who alone dared stand up against him ragged dirty unkempt feeble and poor as he was he made the great tsar afraid of him told him he was doomed to eternal punishment laughed at him openly flicked the money given him on the ground saying it came from hell and would burn his fingers and meekly it seems ivan submitted to the insults buried the old man finally in the church which dedicated to the intercession of the virgin is yet always known under the name of saint basil in the memory of that poor beggared monk who was the only man in russia not afraid of the tsar ivan surnamed the terrible End of chapter 9